Hello and welcome to the 8th episode of Season 2 of God in Film, the podcast where a Christian and an atheist dive into the best that sin has to offer and see if we can find any elements that have parallels with gospel, or any other Bible stories. I'm education writer and rebel shock trooper, Giles Goff. And I'm photographer and Tuscan Raider, Phil Colvin. And during this time of lockdown, we'll be trying to stave off the desire to shoot first by sticking our film geek armour to analyse the Star Wars franchise. Hey! The seminal space opera originated by George Lucas in 1977 that took over the world and is basically the Beatles of science fiction. <laughs> Phil, quick easy question for you. What does Star Wars mean to you? Uh, everything. I grew up watching Star Wars. My dad introduced me to it. He watched them all when they first came out. He had all the special edition ones, those first special edition ones that came out on, I remember it was like a silver video box set, like a VHS. Mm-hmm. And I, we watched the absolute ever-loving crap out of that stuff. There's something about the world of Star Wars that is just so enticing and you just feel just drawn in by it. It's, it's rich and it's and how detailed it is and I'm better off with Star Wars in my life for sure <laughs> absolutely do you know what I'm, I'm almost a bit jealous because I was born in 83 I was not even onto solid foods when Jedi came out <laughs> the earliest memories I have of Star Wars was that they were kind of toys that had been discarded and were in the sort of school toy bin and we'd get these characters fighting we had no idea who they were or what they were or or anything like that because we hadn't seen the films (laughs) and then I remember seeing or trying to watch the first film when I was at Great Ormond Street on a TV with terrible reception and not having much joy then and I think probably the first time I properly saw it was the remastered version back in 1997 at like the real cinema yeah 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 so full disclosure I would not describe myself as a passionate Star Wars fan. At the same time, I still love a good Star Wars movie. And to be honest, I think you need to be able to have a working knowledge of that universe to navigate through movie and geek culture. So in order to increase our cultural capital, Phil has trawled through the interwebs to find the most compelling trivia. So let's hear Phil's facts. Full disclosure, I threw down the gauntlet with this and said, Phil, we're doing Star Wars. Everybody knows most of the obvious trivia as it is. So you're going to have to work hard on this one. This is I can't say this was easy because I'd be lying. <laughs> Forgive me if you've heard some of these before, but I do think okay. I've got some good facts. Star Wars is an American epic space opera media franchise, which try saying that five times fast. Um, you can type this, but you, <laughs> you can't. You can say type it. this, but you can't. <laughs> I think I've got that actually. Uh, you can type this, but you can't say it. Uh, created by George Lucas, which began with the eponymous 1977 film. The franchise consists of 17 feature films, 20 television shows, three radio plays. Which, by the way, they're all of the original. The original trilogy that was released, but as radio mm-hmm. plays, with Mark Hamill reprising um, Luke Skywalker. Sorry, back up a bit. Seventeen feature films. Yep. So you've got like so some of the TV movies as well. First, there's the first trilogy. There's a prequel trilogy. Yep. There's the sequel trilogy. That's eight up to nine. Nine. And then there's, there's Rogue One. There's Solo. I'm getting eleven so far. There's also um, a couple of television movies, like straight. I to, s- now, you see, I think I've seen Caravan of Courage. Really. The, the 
Ewok centered. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard of it, but I haven't watched because it. There, because growing up, like I say, in the 80s, there was an Ewoks TV series. Yes. And there was an Ewok, there was a Droids TV series, yes, you know? Yes, there was. So Ewoks were my way into the Star Wars universe, Aww. you know? <laughs> I love those guys more than most people they, do, they I think, are, they possibly. They are adorable little murderous teddy bears. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what you need, you oh, know? Yeah, absolutely. So, three radio plays, um, 113 <laughs> video games, six pinball games, 131 reference books, 27 role-playing books, 552 novels, which is stupid, <laughs> and over 600 comic books, and 12 theme park attractions, just to name a little bit. Growing up, like I say, in the 80s and 90s and the rest of it, I always felt that every other franchise, you kind of had to be a bit almost embarrassed to be a fan of it, you know? So, yeah. so Star Trek could be a little bit... It, was, it certainly wasn't cool in 1996, I can tell you that this much. This is the thing, isn't it? You've got like that sort of stigma behind being a Trekkie, as it were. Yeah, but Star Wars was always that step above. And I think, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, Star Wars has almost been like top of the fandoms, if yeah, you like. Yeah, it's, it it's one of those things where I think you, you, people think you're a bit weird if you don't like it or if you haven't seen it or you're not bothered yeah. by it, which so, I, I, I disagree with because each to their own. This leads to my next point that, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, I think sometimes Star Wars fans can be a bit entitled oh, because <laughs> they've not had the need, felt the need to sell, have to almost apologise for loving something, if that Just makes the, sense. The thing is, is that they like pure, they're pure Star Wars. It's like, oh, like for example, when they when they retcon the whole canon for the new films and everyone was like, but what about the expanded universe? Yeah, and it's just one of those things where you think like, well, yes, that is a massive shame, but also these big movie studios they've got to make money, and I don't think they care what Terry from Charlton thinks. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, <laughs> you've just got to have a bit of perspective, I think, with these things. Yeah, the actors found George Lucas to be a very uncommunicative director with his only directions generally being either faster or more intense. I hate it when I'm acting in something and the director doesn't give me any direction. Yeah. You know? On the one level, you must assume that must be a good thing because it probably means you, whatever you're doing, you're doing it right. But you're like, just give me something, man. You know, just... just Faster and more intense. I might get that on a yeah. T-shirt. Uh, <laughs> in 2009, writer Joel Schreiber penned the first ever Star Wars horror story in the form of a book called Death Troopers, inspired by the films The Shining and Alien. Wow. Which I really want to read. Like, I saw yeah. I saw the cover, and it's like a stormtrooper's head just on, like, a meat hook with some blood coming out, and I was like, oh, my. <laughs> That's irregular. Well, it, it makes me wonder if they've co-opted some of the imagery similar to that, because if, if you remember in the trailers from Mandalorian, we saw stormtrooper helmets kind of stuck on spikes, didn't we? Yeah, you know? it's a bit it's a bit macabre for Star mm. Wars, you know what I mean? Like, it, I, I hope there's no heads in those helmets you know what I mean like <laughs> uh, so in early drafts of the script R2-D2 could speak standard English and he had a rather foul vocabulary although all of R2-D2's English speech was removed many of C-3PO's reactions to it were left in and I just wow. I just imagine R2-D2 being like this dead sweary Liverpudlian maybe and I say C-3PO I'm going to have to cross this desert it's going to be bloody awful yeah I mean C-3PO and R2 are probably the most famous gay couple in all of science fiction oh yeah absolutely you know? I mean, and anyone who says so. that they're not a gay couple, just watch the film again. Come yeah. on, man. It's 2021. <laughs> um, <laughs> when shooting A New Hope, on the first day of filming in the deserts of Tunisia, the country experienced its first major rainstorm in 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just the worst thing ever. I can't imagine being the producer that day and being like, in 50 years, you say? Right. You know, just, 
you'd just be so annoyed. Because if you plan in external shots, you you always plan for the, and if it's raining, we'll do X instead, you know? Mm. So I'm sure... with Tunisia, you probably wouldn't expect that you'd have to I put mean, up with that. It's a desert, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, one of the things it is lacking famously is water. <laughs> so, you know, you'd just be, uh, you'd obviously be shot. I've got this one in, uh, that we mentioned a minute ago. Harrison Ford found the dialogue to be very difficult. Later saying, you can type this crap, but you can't say it. I'd paraphrase yeah. that slightly. Uh, George Lucas came up with the name R2-D2 during post-production of American Graffiti from 1973. One of the sound crew wanted Lucas to retrieve reel two of the second dialogue track. In post-production parlance, this came out as, could you get R2-D2 for me? Lucas liked the sound of that, so he noted it down for future use. I think that's quite cool. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Peter Cushing found the boots that came with his costume extremely uncomfortable to wear because they were too small for his feet. Now, who overlooked that? <laughs> you know, like, why didn't you take his shoes? size anyway um thus he only wore them in a few shots in which tarkin's feet could be seen in all of the shots peter cushing was wearing fuzzy slippers <laughs> which yes. can you imagine yes. grand moff tarkin himself <laughs> like 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 wookie slippers you know what i mean <laughs> Like, we're going to bring order to the galaxy, but we're going to be comfy while we do it, yeah, guys. Yeah, I was going to say, like, if, if, if I'm going to be evil, I want to be evil <laughs> and cushioned. George Lucas was so impressed by Frank Oz's performance as Yoda that he spent thousands of dollars on an advertising campaign to try and get him an Oscar nomination for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. Lucas's campaign ultimately failed because it was felt that a puppeteer wasn't an actor. And Lucas felt this was unfair to Oz, who, honestly, didn't really care. Frank Oz is just like, no... George, George, it's, George, George, it's okay. No, don't, you don't have to buy, George, stop. <laughs> if you are already Miss Piggy, then an yeah, Oscar probably doesn't mean anything It's just to like, you, look, you know? I play an anthropomorphised pig. I think I'll be fine. Thank you. <laughs> the scenes where R2-D2 is submerged in the mud pool were shot in George Lucas's unfinished swimming pool. Most of the crew were hidden under the water and the entire sequence was shot by George Lucas himself. The crew were hidden under the water. Are we talking in Dagobah? Yes. Right, okay. Apparently the right. crew were under the water. So I'm, I'm assuming that it was just kind of like, right, okay, we're rolling. Water. <gasps> yeah, yeah. yeah. <gasps> okay. <laughs> Yeah, that, God, that, that'd be the worst day on set ever, that, wouldn't it? Originally, in the asteroid scene uh, in Empire Strikes Back, one of the asteroids was actually a shoe. The rumour is that George Lucas asked the uh, visual effects people to redo the scene so many times that they got annoyed, and one of them threw in his shoe. Later remastered versions have corrected this, but if you look at the original <laughs> one in the asteroid, there is a shoe. <laughs> of course. Of course. <clears throat> and, and, which brings me to a point that I must make. Don't annoy yeah. your CG guys. Don't annoy the techies. Just give them a bit of... A bit of space, you know. <laughs> During the shot in which Salacious Crumb, the small, annoying rat-like thing that sits with Jabba in his palace, is chewing off C-3PO's eye, Anthony Daniels actually had a panic attack whilst in the C-3PO suit. Whilst filming, he didn't actually say any of his lines, and all of his lines were dubbed over in post-production anyway, because, you know, he's in a giant metal suit, uh, mm -hmm. but repeated, get me up, get me up, over and over, instead of saying his lines. Um, but this was, and this was the take that was actually used in the final shot as well, so when we watch that, we're actually watching Anthony Daniels in a C-3PO costume, just having a bit of a panic. Poor fella. I mean, I, I, yeah. you're already in this enclosed 
Joe's thing anyway. I can't imagine that being any kind of fun whatsoever. No. In the 2004 DVD release, George Lucas explained the reason behind why Yoda told Luke that Darth Vader was his father. Lucas had consulted with a child psychologist during the making of the film. The psychologist mm-hmm. said, unless it was unequivocally stated that Vader was Luke's father, moviegoers aged 12 and under would dismiss Vader's claim to be Luke's father as a lie. And that's coming from a psychology standpoint. Well, I mean, how else would he have said that he was his father? I'm guessing what it is, is that because he's the bad guy, he's more likely to try and tell the main character something to sway them to his sort of way of thinking or to make them do mm-hmm. what he wants to do. So having it confirmed... You know, one of the phrases that, that just starts to bug me when villains are trying to sort of seduce good guys, the amount of times I hear this phrase, we're the same, you and I. Or variations <laughs> on that phrase, like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, yeah, well, thanks. welcome to screenwriting. Here's a stock phrase. And last one, Admiral Akbar's famous line, it's a trap, was originally scripted as, it's a trick. But the line was changed in post-production after a negative test screening, and I kind of see why. Yeah, well, it's a trap sums up what you want to say a bit better. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that Kurt Russell screen-tested for Han Solo? I think I did hear about that, actually. But you know? can you imagine Kurt Russell? I would have been, do you know what, I would have been down for that. But when you get a chance, by the way, you know I was talking about those radio plays. Mm-hmm. Check out some of the casting. One of the radio plays, I think it's the Empire Strikes Back one. John Lithgow played Yoda. Nice. Which I was just like, that's that's quite good, I can actually. See that. I can, I can see, that. see that. Awesome. Thank you for those, Phil. Those are brilliant. No problem at all. Now... This guy is a writer, a critically acclaimed comedian, and a podcaster. He's written for BBC Three Shorts and supported the likes of Jason Manford and Milton Jones while on tour. He's also a committed Star Wars fan. Let's have a listen. My name's Chris Stokes. Uh, I said the Stokes in brackets then, I don't know why. I felt like, <laughs> I felt like there's a little footnote with uh, with my surname at the bottom of the page. I'm a um, comedian, or was before the world ended, and <laughs> a, uh, a writer. Chris, uh, I'm so happy to have you on the uh, on the the podcast. Oh, thanks for today. having me. It is awesome. So it's it's a it's a massive nebulous one. We could start at, at many different points, but <laughs> I'm going to go for this one. Okay. Uh, aside from one being good and one being evil, what can you tell us about the Jedi and the Sith? The Jedi are referred to at some point overtly as a religious order, mm-hmm. yet they seem to be also a police force Yeah, in that they bring peace to the galaxy, which I feel is a little bit arrogant of them, but they are essentially space wizards. So yep. it's really interesting because I think that the Star Wars like saga is a, well, it's a family drama, but also it's a political one because it's all about the machinations that end up leading to out-and-out war mm-hmm. and the fall of the Republic and the rise of the Empire and all of that. However, the Jedi do magic. Yeah. If you remove the Jedi, then you'd have just sort of space politics. Basically, House of Cards. Do you know what Lucas's inspiration was for Vader? Apparently, he he wanted the Sith to be like a big group that served the Emperor, like the Schutzstaffel uh, served Adolf Hitler. And when he was developing the backstory for the second film, Empire Strikes Back, he decided that it would be more interesting to condense it all into just the one character of Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. So in terms of character or where the inspirations come from, I suppose sort of like there's a lot of western language in star wars it's like a western in space that first one mm-hmm. a new hope that's kind of what he wanted to translate into it and i, I it, it makes sense so in terms of character i don't know whether he was trying to be like this transpose this idea of like a really cool evil clad black black clad gunslinger for mm-hmm. darth vader because that kind of works as a, as a character as well but when i read that i was like oh he wanted him to be a one-man army because this idea of taking a, an entire force that the Emperor has at his disposal and just deciding to put it into one character, that makes that makes Darth Vader a one-man army, in essence. I think we, we sort of 
we only really see that point of face one ar- one man army ness when it gets to to Rogue One, really. Don't Agreed. We, you know? And that's what, I mean, yes, because Darth Vader is an absolute triumph in design. Mm. Uh, he looks amazing. James Earl Jones's voice sounds amazing. That lightsaber fight with Alec Guinness in A New Hope is not very good. <laughs> it's stilted, and it's <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It's like it's filmed like it's on stage, yeah, rather than like dynamic filmmaking. So I always found it really weird how Darth Vader became this sort of like like scary villain. And I guess it was the power of the voice and the look rather than actually seeing what he does. Because the yeah. fight with um, Luke in Empire Strikes Back is a little bit stilted as well, just because of filmmaking practices in 19, like the late 70s and the early 80s. But yeah, he goes properly badass in Rogue One and we never really got to... We And it's only actually watching that in Rogue One. And I think why the, that's why the moment is so p- impactful. It's because it's like, this is what we always thought we saw Vader do and we didn't. Mm. Obviously, the prequels come along and Vader is completely stripped of all that, that sort of mystique and, and ambiance and becomes a, a whiny teenager through, throughout most yeah, of it. Yeah, it's kind of timely that we're talking about this now because I think it was only last week, actually, that George Lucas revealed that somebody told him, no, if you show Darth Vader as a little boy, you'll ruin Star Wars. And of course, that's what a lot of people said he'd done because the prequels are not well liked. Well, they're um, not well liked by our generation. I think the the kids coming up after us have a very different view on it. That's true. I mean, like Phantom Menace is twenty one years old now. So mm. that these 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 kids that who saw them like contemporaneously when they came out, those kids now are grown ups. So you're right. There are people that have that sort of like childhood connection to them in the same way that our generation. I mean, like uh, I, we say our generation. Like um, I wasn't born until after Return of the Jedi came yeah. out. Like, <laughs> only just after. Yeah, it's but, all, it's, it's all contextual. If you were if you were 14 years old by the time you were watching Star Wars in 1977, then you were 21 when Jedi came out, and you probably thought Ewoks were a waste of time. Whereas yes. I grew up thinking and fully understanding that Ewoks were the best thing about the Star Wars. I didn't uh, even register the Ewoks as anything other than another bit of Star Wars. The prequels are obviously fleshing out this whole because I think George Lucas has even called the first six films the tragedy of Darth Vader mm-hmm. because. It's uh, it's his story from yeah. uh, from Phantom Menace through to Return of the Jedi. It's interesting to me that the the whole conflict kicks off because um, the Emperor is opportunistic and takes advantage of a, a political dispute over taxation on trade routes. That to me is like oh that's, I I like that. It's so mundane, and then, mm. then it all comes from that little curdle. That what that, that being said, Giles, I think it's a bad idea to center a film around it. <laughs> No I mean, one, no one wants to watch a political dispute about yeah, taxation the, on trade routes. The more you talk about it like that, the more it sounds like space Brexit. You know. That, yes. Uh, well, this is why Giles, everyone's so pissed off about Brexit because we're still at the moment chronologically in the prequels. <laughs> <laughs> we need to, we need to, we need to, um, we need to, we need to hit a new hope, and we haven't yet. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Chris, it has been wonderful talking to you today and it's lovely to check in with you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Have you got anything you'd like to plug? Uh, only my own podcasts. Um, do a, a, a cocktail mystery solving podcast called Mystery on the Rocks with two other comedians called Suze Kepner and Masood Milas. And uh, we have new episodes coming out every Thursday. Uh, we also uh, live stream on Twitch every other Thursday where you can find that at twitch.tv slash mystery on the rocks. And uh, I also do um, a thing called Natural Born Storytellers, which is all about true life storytelling um that has a podcast with a backlog of episodes if you search for natural born storytellers you can oh. find the podcast there thanks very much man thank you that was chris stokes phil what do you think i like him he seems like the nice guy
guy. He seems like somebody who I would spend a long time talking about Star Wars with. I've got to say as well, like I quite liked his uh, point with um, with with Darth Vader being like a one man army because mm. yeah, you, you don't really see that until until Rogue One, and it is such a shame that you don't. Yeah. However, what it did remind me of when you do see it. Oh, when you do see it though, you're just there like man. I, I, oh. I don't want to be. I don't want to be anywhere near this guy. But also, I do weirdly. <laughs> but yeah, no, it reminded me. There's on YouTube that somebody has actually redone the fight scene on the Death Star to be shot and choreographed in a similar way to the way the prequels had lightsaber sort of battles. Okay. You should watch it. It it really does put a new perspective on the whole thing. And plus as well, they deep fake Alec Guinness's face onto a younger guy who's nice. able to like move like a younger guy and not like Alec Guinness. We can probably put the link to that in the in the description. Okay, now it's time for Finding the Faith in the Film. Da, 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 da. Yay. <laughs> awesome. Now, let's be absolutely clear. It has become an internet staple to hear two white middle-class millennials debating the relative merits of one Star Wars film to another. <laughs> We're not going to do that. We're not here to give a critical view on the films. We're just looking for Bible parallels. We're looking Good. at the franchise as a whole rather than one specific film because I personally think that any parallels that are there are few and far between. Some people made the comparison of... Ah, a lightsaber. It's a bit like a double-edged sword, which is the word of God, which I always think is a bit shaky. That feels like a bit of a stretch, to be honest. A teensy bit, yeah. Anyway, let's start with episode one, The Phantom Menace. Now, quick question for you, Phil. Who is Anakin Skywalker's dad? The Force. That's I mean, the explanation we're given. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. like old Shmee there is just like, yeah, well, there, there wasn't a dad. Um, he, he just mm. sort of appeared in my uterus one day and then, well, exactly. gave birth, didn't I? That is virgin birth right there. So it's a good thing that God is benevolent because otherwise he would be suing for copyright infringement. <laughs> I was just going to say, you'd just be there like, yeah, right, that's it. I'm getting my lawyer. I mean, I know you've picked from all the meta myths throughout history and, and, and different cultures, George, but come on now. Could you not have just screwed over Vishnu just once? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> so I'm going to jump around from different things all over the place, so you might have to, to bear with me. Um, okay. First of all, let's talk about Tatooine. What would you say is Tatooine's reputation? Got a reputation for being a fairly dangerous place where a lot of sort of like crime happens and it's it's mm. quite a poor area yeah it just seems like a bit i wouldn't say a slum but it seems like um it's a bit of a backwater yeah okay, and, that's a good way of putting it and jesus's hometown of nazareth was also a bit of a scruffy town that didn't have much of a good reputation it was basically the rill of the ancient world okay <laughs> And I'll give you an example of this, and it comes from John 1, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 44, where Andrew and Peter, who are these two two guys who are really passionate about Jesus, they're trying to talk to this guy called Philip. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. So, like, there's this vague reputation that Nazareth, what a hive of scum and villainy yeah, that is. I was going to say that. I was going to say that. <laughs> that. That is Nazareth. Never is the beatable, wretched hive of scum and villainy. So, with Jesus and with Luke Skywalker, we both get this idea that something great can come from the place you'd least expect it. Yeah. Um, I mean, Robbie Williams came from Stoke on Trent. I'm pretty certain, like, <laughs> He's the only good thing about Stoke on Trent, so you know what I mean? And even he's not that great, so. <laughs> yeah. 
I did not expect the conversation to go in that direction. Neither so, did I, mate. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so anyway, I wasn't super keen on doing a Star Wars episode until I was speaking to my friend John and Ellie, who made an observation. I was interviewing him for my day job a few weeks back. Let's have a listen to what he says. What film would you say... Uh, speaks to you the most about faith that you wouldn't that you think people wouldn't expect is Star Wars. I just like Star Wars as a a different sort of retelling of the prodigal son. In terms okay. of we have a man who who turns away from from all those that love him um, and goes on a dark dark journey and then comes through to be redeemed right at the end and receives the full reward that he would have received had he stayed all along. He's the prodigal dad. He is the prodigal dad, yes. That's brilliant. Anakin Skywalker is the prodigal dad. I have never thought of that before. I'm stealing that idea. I thought that was an interesting parallel and it was the thing that made me want to sort of check out the rest of the franchise. Well, that's good. So I was thinking for a moment about Luke and Yoda, about the kind of master uh, student mentor mentee kind of thing I was thinking mm. about this particular trope have you ever heard of a guy called Elijah I've heard of him yeah. I couldn't tell you who he was apart from that guy that played Frodo once but <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in the Old Testament Elijah is a straight up OG prophet this guy is going around healing people left right and center there's oh. some false gods coming in he's basically setting fire to their stuff you know he's kind of to be honest with you we don't spend enough time talking about elijah because he was totally awesome when john the baptist came along wow. everybody was like are you the next elijah he was like like the way people sort of say are you the next tupac you know that <laughs> he was a big deal <laughs> he ends up taking on a student called elisha so elijah oh, that, oh, that's elisha. not confusing at all yeah, nice not one, in the slightest, totally <laughs> fine. An interesting thing is that in a similar way to sort of Luke and Yoda, Yoda doesn't strictly speaking die. He kind of sort of becomes non-corporeal, yeah. but he's still knocking about, you know. Yeah, he's just exactly. there like, speak yeah. backwards, I do. Elijah is one of the few characters in the Bible who never actually dies he gets swept up into heaven in a sort of chariot of fire i think is the way that it's kind of described you know is that any relation to the song i i don't know i'd like to research that at some point (laughs) before he goes um elijah's like okay um i'm gonna be heading to heaven soon is there anything i can can get you and elisha asks for a double portion of your spirit and basically elisha is already like he's already kind of the successor as the prophet to to elijah it's almost like asking for for more faith um and then <laughs> and then an Elisha, concept <laughs> yeah elisha then goes on to perform even more miracles than elijah did you know so he just mm. steps things up a notch even further it's like even more power if you strike me down i'll become more powerful become than you can possibly imagine <laughs> yeah it's just that's what that there's so many different things in star wars that you could just quote and it sort of fits <laughs> i don't know why yeah my next point the main thing i was thinking about was um was rogue one and Jin mm. erso now there's a there's a line in isaiah which is is meant to be sort of straight out from straight from god himself basically yeah uh, where he says so is my word that goes out from my mouth it will not return to me empty but will accomplish what i desire and achieve the purpose for which i sent it that's kind of translated into this idea that whatever you do do for God, it won't 
be futile. Right, I It see. won't be useless. You might never get to see the fruits of your labour, but it was still important you did it. Yes, when I, I was thinking that, about yeah. that, I was thinking about Jin Erso, because obviously her and the, and the rest of her group, they obviously <coughs> sort of complete an absolutely vital mission to get the plans for the Death Star, yeah. and then Death Star gets blown up, and then that sort of kicks off a, a chain of events that leads to the galaxy well, being free from, yeah, the, yeah, uh, from the Imperial they, forces, they get, you know? They get saved from the Empire because they're able to get that those plans, and, you know, they're not able to see it, unfortunately, because they, they, they very much get blown to smithereens, but, yeah. uh, spo- spoiler alert, by the way, if you haven't seen it, but... So that's one of the things that made me think of think of that particular verse, the idea that, there's, that it's not, whatever you do to serve this thing, it's not futile. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I get you know? it. That makes sense. And the last one I was thinking about is in The Last Jedi. Do you remember there's a scene after Rey has left Luke? Luke is so angry, he's going to destroy this, this kind of like this, best way to describe it, like a tree library? Yeah, it's a library with a hollowed out tree trunk, basically, isn't it? Yeah, and it has all the sacred texts of, of the Jedi Order. Yeah. Or it's meant to, anyway. And Luke can't destroy it himself, and there's then, basically, Yoda summons lightning down and basically destroys the entirety of, of, the, of the thing. At that point, as far as we know, Yoda's destroyed the sacred text of the, of the Jedi Order and the last surviving copies of it. They have a whole discussion about we are what they are supposed supposed to grow beyond. I remember seeing that and be and thinking, I, I do understand and I can see the sort of parallels I think that's mm-hmm. going to, you're probably about to talk about, so do continue. In a way, it summed up what a lot of the problems people had with Last Jedi is that a lot of people felt like their their heroes and their icons were being ripped down and taken yeah. apart from that. But in the final analysis, Luke still accomplishes his mission. Luke is still, is still a hero and all that sort of thing. I like the fact that Luke in that film was portray- wasn't portrayed as this mistake Messiah figure. For me, it was perfect because at the end of the day, like so much time has passed. It's very, very unlikely he's going to be the same person and it's very unlikely he's going to be the same character. He's not, unlike the fact that he wasn't just this sort of like stoic, heroic character who's Mm. just kind of like, I'm going to come in and save the day. Look at me. It's it's more just like he grew and changed and and adapted. And I I really enjoyed The Last Jedi for that. A lot of people were just like, but why isn't Space Wizard the same as usual? It's just, oh, just, it just, it was, it irked me. It's almost a weariness to sort of get bogged down in certain things, you know? And Because yeah. I, I was thinking about this, right? I was thinking, as Christians, we can get bogged down in scriptures and verses and catechisms and creeds and declarations yeah. and vision partner agreements and mission statements and all these things when really Christianity has always been about one thing, faith. I think comparing faith and the force is such an obvious comparison that I'm almost embarrassed to make it. <laughs> uh, an invisible, unquantifiable thing that we need to believe in that can affect the world around us and the decision to follow this force is not easy and requires a lot of personal sacrifice I've got to say though if I were able to move stuff with my mind through Christianity I'd be a Christian yesterday <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'd, if, if I was granted those kind of powers, through belief and through faith, count me as a believer, son. Do you know what I mean? Well, because it'd be brilliant. All I'm telling you, man, is that all Jesus said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you would be able to look at a mountain and say, get into the sea, and the, it, it would do it. So 
I'm just saying, <laughs> those things are on offer, but you really, really, really have to have a lot of faith for it. Yeah, you have to be like angel level of faith, and we all know what angels look like. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think the point I'm trying to get at is that sometimes the relationship with God, the, the issue of faith itself, can get lost a little bit in all the paperwork, all the 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 things where we've tried to categorize our faith and sort of break it down and, and all the rest of it. it. It showed me, what it showed me was something that I think a lot of people don't actually like to admit. And this is that religion can change. It does change over the years. What Christians believed in the Middle Ages was different to what Christians believed in the Victorian era. And it's different to what Christians believe now. And, and a religion and a belief can change. And we sort of, I see so many Christians who see seem to think that what they believe now is like the the finished form you know yeah. this is this is what it is and there's nothing nothing more to it what i think i found from watching last jedi and that that scene with the tree burn in particular was that if you believe something wholeheartedly then it's your responsibility to question it it is mm. not impossible that a good teacher a well-meaning teacher as well as teaching you the good news might have also accidentally taught you some of their own prejudices along the way yeah. and it gets really difficult to pull apart which is which and this is one thing I think is key a devoted faith is not necessarily a blind faith it doesn't mean that you just accept what you've been told hook line and sinker without questioning at any point I mean I can just imagine like for example you can you can have faith and still be like god why on earth did you make it so that my legs have been chopped off you know what I mean like you can still say that <laughs> you can still you, you don't have to just yeah. be like well it's part of god's plan so oh well it's like one of the crucial things that pretty much all Christians believe to some extent or other is that we haven't got it right. You know, yeah. that we'll we'll get to, to heaven and God will be like, no guys, actually what I meant was X. And we'll be like, ah, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> egg on my face. But I think a lot of Christians can forget that. I think they can they can kind of get this blinkered thing where they see their way of doing things is right and no no acceptance of, of anything else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. There's a there's a stubbornness that I think comes through sometimes in that respect. Definitely. So there we go that is the end of the finding the faith in film section we have had some reviews Whoa, actual yeah. reviews by actual human people so polly left us a comment and she said this i'm not a christian but really enjoy the debates and candor of the hosts two really different perspectives that demonstrate we can share beliefs even if we follow different faiths and I thought that was a really, really nice thing to say. That is definitely one of my favourite reviews because I think it, it's something I believe in. Absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will be with you next week. Yeah. Our next episode <laughs> is Mulan, and we hope for you to join us for that one. Phil, have you had a good time? Always, mate, always. Especially when I'm talking about the great franchise, which is Star Wars. My goodness, <laughs> I've been waiting for this for so long. I mean, you mentioned this before we even started the podcast, so I feel yeah. we need to get this out of your system. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks. <laughs> very much guys see you soon bye bye hosted and created by giles goff and phil coleman garden film is by phil it is mixed and editing by giles designed by julie walsh our logo was and by rick lee our theme tune was composed by natalie alston waffle editing was done by christina stanard good fact checking was a das production garden film is rate and review you must unless it's a one star in which case you know, this is too hard. Guys, we don't run ads or ask for money. Just give us a five-star review or I'll send Phil round to kick over your bins.